Father, we thank you that you'll speak to us now by the Holy Ghost. This was an all introduction, Lord. We're not going to go as long this morning as sometimes we have in the past, but we do thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we are growing in number every week. It seems like we're growing. You're continually putting on the hearts of people to come and to be a part of what it is that we're doing here. And we thank you, Father, that your vision for this church is what matters. Not my opinion, not the opinions of others, but your vision, your desire, your plan. That is what we all strive to fulfill, and that's what we all strive to see. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done on the earth, and we thank you that we have a part to play in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to continue, as we said, talking about gifts and callings, giftings and callings. And I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off and just press on and go further. Uh, the first service that we preached on this, which was last Sunday, I gave you a bunch of information about the uh, the the understanding or the reality, as it were, that the gifts of the Spirit and spiritual gifts have not ceased. And some people have said that they have, and uh, they were wrong. Augustine was wrong, and John Calvin was wrong, and B.B. Warfield was wrong. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all flesh, not some flesh, and He has not ceased to function in the earth, and God has not ceased to give people to be able to do what it is that he's called them to do. So thank God we saw that last Sunday. And then Wednesday we picked up and we said that Jesus was our example and we had to understand that the ministry that Jesus was doing wasn't his own, it was the ministry of the Father. And so we understood that God anointed Jesus, a man, to do the works that God had told him to do and set out by the Holy Ghost according to the Word of God. And we saw that and so we laid that foundation and that pattern on Wednesday that Everything Jesus did as uh, in ministry as a man, he did it anointed by the Holy Spirit. He didn't do a single thing in ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him after his baptism. And so we see once he's baptized, he's received the power of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. In Luke, we see in Acts chapter 10 that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And then we go over again into the beginning of Acts, and we quoted this on Wednesday, that here lies a man on a mat paralyzed from his mother's womb over 40 years. And Peter and John, heal, they bring healing to this man in the name of Jesus. And then they come and warn him and threaten him. And they're like, what in the world is it? that you're trying to do anyway. By what power, what authority have you done these things? And Peter's response was, hey, it was because of faith in the name of Jesus. But Peter there in front of the religious people who are persecuting him, pressing him, and demanding a response, Peter's response was simple. Jesus Christ was a man who was attested and approved of God by miracles, signs, and wonders that God did through him. So we will do the same things in the kingdom of God today. We will function as people who have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. When we're born again, we receive gifts from God to be able to function, to be able to serve, and to be able to honor Him. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a second experience that has not ceased, then it's like those things that God gave us go on steroids. Amen? We talked a little bit about that on 
Wednesday, and all of a sudden they're just, they're much bigger and much stronger, and it's like they're more prevalent and more prominent, and their function seems to even be more, uh, you know, readily available, and it's not as few and far between, but it seems like it's just hyper and speed, and they're just moving with power because the Holy Ghost has come, and he's brought the, the, the life of God in a whole other dimension by giving us this baptism, Amen. Which, by the way, for those of you who may be new to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or may be new to the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit and you think that if anybody operates in the Holy Ghost and if anybody prays in tongues and if the Holy Spirit is ministering, then it's got to be creepy and weird. Some of you didn't know, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to me while we were praying. Nothing seemed strange. Nothing seemed weird. Nothing was out of order or out of control or crazy, but yet the Holy Spirit was giving me what's called a word of knowledge concerning people who may have been dealing with problems with their blood. And that wasn't planned. The Holy Spirit revealed that to me as he saw fit. Because maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here today who has an issue with blood, with a diagnosis or a problem, and the Lord wanted to talk to you, and he wanted to meet with you. So then I came and said, put some faith to this and believe God. So it doesn't have to be creepy and strange and weird. And I'm of the opinion that if people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are creepy and strange and weird, then they are exactly that, creepy and strange and weird. But I don't think the Holy Ghost is weird, amen? He is a a part of the Trinity of God, amen? And we shouldn't just lock him in a closet like some cousin that we're embarrassed of at a family reunion. We're not supposed to be ashamed. Amen. It doesn't have to be weird. And I think that anything that's abused, any biblical doctrine that's abused is wrong. Amen. We just need to keep it in the middle. Kenneth E. Hagin used to say to preachers at Rhema Bible Training College, he'd say, flee from extremes, stay out of ditches, stay in the middle. Don't get out of order in something. Don't take a biblical truth and overemphasize it and bring error. Just flee extremes. Stay in the middle. 1 Peter chapter 4 and Peter, the reason that I'm doing this, if you're saying, what's the divine holy, holy leading on this? It's because it's the shortest. That's why I'm doing this one first, because it's the shortest list. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he said, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayer. Well, that seems like it could apply to us today. It's time for the church to be serious and watchful in our prayer. Amen? I think that today the old patty cake prayer is, uh, is over. And God is desiring some real folks to really stand up and stand instead, stand in the place of. Now, some people's theology says that that's called spiritual warfare, and that's not biblical. And some people think that you're a spiritual prayer warrior, and that's also not biblical. But there are definite uh, enemies that we don't see that we fight. But in order for us to be in a battle, then that means that the victory is not already determined. Well, the victory's already determined that I don't have to do any fighting to win. I've already won. 
I stand from my position of victory and make decree as a king does, according to the word of God. You and I stand from our position of victory and authority, and we rule as kings and priests unto our God, and we rule according to the word of God by a decree. Hey, stop that in Jesus' name. Knock that off in the name of Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Go from this person in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm preaching real good already. Amen. Praise the Lord. He says, be serious about your prayer. Sober-minded. Be in your right mind. Exercise self-control. That's what the word means. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Isn't it interesting how many times we're seeing that? Now listen to this. 10 and 11 is the meat. As each one, how many? How many then in this room have? Each one of them. Each one. As each one, as everyone, as each one, everyone who? What's the qualifier? Have you received Jesus Christ? Peter's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. So he said, as each one has received a gift. Everybody say, I've received a gift. Amen. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Isn't it interesting, the language there? Not bring it to the church and minister to the Lord with it. Somebody said. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another. See, the term that we put on this in the early to mid-70s is called body ministry. And I'm okay with that to a degree. Where the emphasized truth becomes error is that people say, well, there is no church governments because everybody is gifted. Well, that's just not biblical. Jesus put pastors in place, and the Word of God, by the will of the Holy Spirit, appointed elders and deacons and helps and others. So, yes, we all have received a gift, and absolutely, without question, if we do it right, it'll be a beautiful picture of God's perfect plan. That the body would minister to one another and love one another and lift one another. But it's not the job of the preacher alone. Now, I've told you this before in other teaching and preaching series, and I'm going to bring this out to you again. And some people are like, I don't know if I believe that. And that's okay, but it's absolutely true in reality anyway. In the body of Christ, universally, it's estimated that 93% of the body of Christ are non-clergy. What do you mean, Pastor? That means you're not going to preach. 93% of the body will do something else for the Lord than stand behind the desk and preach. The error is that somehow that means that the 7% of us who preach are somehow better or more gifted or more anointed than the 93% of the rest. And that's error and it's wrong. And you're not in a shepherding church where I rule over you and control you. I don't get to tell you when you can go on vacation. I want you to take me with you. <laughs> 
people approach me and then say, hey, pastor, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be taking off and going hunting after church day. Jim did that on Friday. I said, thanks for letting me know, Jim. In my mind, I'm thinking, lucky duck, he gets to go hang out in the woods. I got to be here. If Jim wouldn't go, then I could. No, that's not true. But Jim doesn't have to ask for my permission, may I go deer hunting? You know, there are places that believe that garbage. That's just nonsense. There, there are people that teach that the pastor should have control of when you have relations with your spouse. That's way too much. What are we talking about? We're talking about that, that I don't control you and I'm not, I'm not in authority over you because I'm better than you. And I cannot flex my muscle, as it were, and demand that you receive me. And I can't flex my muscle and demand that you yield or submit to me. All I can simply do is say the Scriptures say, and it's to your benefit if you understand what it is that I am or who it is that I am, and I can help you if you'll allow me to, but I don't need to approve your vacation. Are you here? So that, that, that may be a sobering thought, but I'm not trying to make anyone here feel like they're inferior somehow, but 93% of the body of Christ won't preach. So I am positive that God is not in heaven saying, well, that just sucks to be the rest of you. I refuse to think that God would say that to 93% of his body. I'll tell you this, honestly. Outside of receiving Jesus, everybody understands that, that I mean outside of being born again, the single greatest biblical revelation that I ever received is that I could have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Totally changed my walk with God. Totally changed my walk with God. Totally. And I am absolutely 100% one of those guys who believes, biblically speaking, that the Holy Spirit wants to help you. That He's in my life to lead me and to comfort me and to guide me and to help me. Not to give me the ability to speak a language that I've never learned, but to give me the ability to speak a language I've never learned also. But I don't know about the rest of you, but I want the total package of the Holy Spirit in my life. So the single greatest revelation that I ever received outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ was that I could have a personal relationship with the Holy Ghost. And that if I could do this right according to the Bible then God gave me an opportunity for my spirit to communicate, speak to, and fellowship with His Spirit. Mind officially blown. Mind officially blown. I just thought, this is not religion. This is not tradition. This truly He has become a friend that will stick closer than any other friend and then even a brother. So that was the single most life-changing revelation. You know what the second most life-changing revelation I received was? What gift God put on the inside of me 
and that I as an individual member of his body could be plugged into his universal body. I as an individual member of his body didn't have to sit on the sidelines, but I could be plugged in immediately into the local church and that I could do something in ministry service to the Lord and to his body. That changed everything for me because I've been raised to believe not by parents who were just wrong, but just the, the, the ideology that just continued to come having a wrong understanding of what and who God was. You know, I was raised not by my parents, but I was raised by people that kind of gave the impression God's not super fond of you. Now pause for a moment. Has anybody ever been in that place where you were, maybe it was implied that, you know, you're a sinner who was saved by grace, but you're still a sinner? It's not my parents' fault. They didn't, they didn't do wrong. That's a common ideology in the body of Christ, unfortunately. Well, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. And I'm not unholy and unrighteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I can't be saved and be a sinner. Because a sinner is a label. I said a sinner is a label. I'm not, that's not the label that I wear. I wear the label of son of God or to those that it applies to, daughter of God. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? So this, this revelation, me receiving this and understanding this, really changed my walk with the Lord. It really revolutionized my walk with the Lord. And so I believe that this should be at the forefront of what it is that we're teaching because people need to know. So again, I want to read Peter not to, not to <laughs> belittle you or to make you feel like you're not intelligent enough, but just to put an emphasis on this. Verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, let us minister it to each other. There are people that are sitting in this chairs to, these chairs today that, that don't know what it is that God has gifted them to do. And so if you don't know what it is that God has gifted you to do, then I'm going to go even a little step further and not to put shame on you, but just to say this is the natural conclusion then that you must not be ministering it to each other because you don't know what it is yet. Is that fair to, to be able to make that connection and to draw that conclusion that if you don't know what it is that God has gifted you or called you to do, then how is it then you're able to do what it is that God has gifted you and called you to do within the body. In other words, how can you minister to one another? So this is important, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 why it's important, in Ephesians chapter 4 why it's important, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 why it's important, and we'll get into those things a little later, but each one of us has received something from God when we were born again, and it's so important for us to wake up to realize the gifting that God has placed on the inside of us. Now, in the area, in the issue of spiritual gifts, there are a whole lot of opinions on things. And I think that it's best if we just allow the Bible first, the Bible first, to be our course syllabus on any subject. Yeah? 
Okay. So it says each one has received a gift, and he says that we should minister it to one another. As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace or charis of God. You know, the word that we use for people who pray in tongues is that they're charismatic. That word, the root word, is grace. So charisma or charismata in the singular language, the singular tense and the singular form is really translated over into English as grace gifts. What do you mean by that, Pastor? No matter how special you are in your own mind. You didn't earn the gift that God put on the inside of you. He put it on the inside of you, just like saving grace. He gifted you not according to you, but according to his good pleasure. Amen? See, we have so many in the body of Christ today that are unsettled and unhappy and unfulfilled. I think a lot of it has to do with they have no idea who and what they are no idea who and what you are. You can find out who you are from reading the book, but did you know that you could also find out what you are by reading the book? The same Holy Ghost that will show you who you are, a son or a daughter, righteous, saint, blessed, sanctified, redeemed, that you've received the wisdom of God, sanctification, redemption, you've received the Spirit of God, you've received adoption from God, your righteousness is God's, and He gave it to all those things to tell you who you are, you can also find in the book what you are. And I think that it's important that we know both. See, I think this is so important, I can't stretch my hands out wide enough, and some people are like, hey, it's like this much important. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. And also, here, here's the thing, and this is the natural step. If, if we're smart enough, it'll change our vocation. Because if we lean to our giftings that are God-given, then we can go out into the workaday world in the area that we're gifted or graced in and find success. And then we can say, it's the gift of God on the inside of me. God may have made you a baker, and if you're going out and being a plumber, good, you know, have fun. <laughs> but he might have gifted you to be a baker. Are you here? He said, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold, multifaceted, varied, variegated grace, charisma of God. So you and I have received these giftings. Each one of us have received at least a gift, maybe giftings. We really don't know, but other than the evidence in our lives. We've received these giftings from God, and we're to do something with them. What are we to do with them? It's right in the Scripture verse. Minister them to one another. We're to minister them to one another. And in doing so, we're stewarding over the gift that God gave us. So now we've got to bring into question and into the equation and put into this theology that we're building uh, the parable of Jesus every time he talked about a good and faithful steward. Why? Because we're stewarding the gifts that God gave us. 
And if we're ministering them one to another as keepers, as, as governors, as rulers of the manifold, variegated grace of God, then, boy, we are really, really, really important in the eyes of God. I said this a long, long time ago in the young adults ministry. And I said, there are certain things that we can see scripturally speaking that show us how important it actually is that us as individuals come to church. That it matters because we bring with us the gift that God gave us. And then every joint begins to supply in the church service. And can't nobody greet me like so-and-so can greet me. And man, nobody makes a cup of coffee and has this gifting of service like so-and-so. And yet we still think it doesn't really matter that much if I go to church. I mean, God doesn't really care. Well, you're a steward of his variegated grace. I think it kind of matters. We're going to go into verse 11 in just a moment, but we, we talked about the reality that according to the Scripture, we have subcategorized in the Scripture, we have gifts that Jesus the Son gave in Ephesians, right? And then we have gifts that the Spirit gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first part, and then we have gifts that God as Father gave in Romans chapter 12. And it's important for us to understand that God is still giving these gifts to those who are born again. And as a steward of these things that he's given, thank God he didn't stop gifting us because we'd all be without. And by the way, there would be partiality. And Peter says, God shows no partiality. He's not going to give gifts to one generation and then skip a few hundred. Because that would be a partial God, right? God does not show partiality. Peter said, I perceive by the Holy Ghost that God shows no partiality. He doesn't look at you as, as a male or a female. I know that that really goes over great, especially in the wake of all the stuff that we've been dealing with. But God doesn't view you as a female. God doesn't view you as a male. I mean, that's what the Word says, by the way. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free, right? That's the, I just quoted your scripture, right? If anyone speaks, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, Peter categorizes all the gifts of God into two categories. And it's interesting how if you look at this, and listen, scholars are going to disagree with this for as long as the earth remains. God should have threw that in Genesis 8. Noah gets off the boat and says, scholars will argue forever. That would have been one of those infallible, unchangeable things. But, but it's interesting to see when you work these two categories, as it were, of gifts through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how everything that is listed through the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome either goes into one category or the other. It's kind of interesting. He says, if anyone speaks, let him, him is gender neutral, let that person speak as the oracles of God. If anyone serves or ministers... Let that person, let him, let that gender neutral, let that person serve as with the power, that word ability actually means power, as with the power that God gives or God supplies. 
So everyone in church is supposed to operate within the gift that God's given them, ministering that gift to one another, and in so doing, we're being good stewards of the manifold, variegated grace of God. And in addition to that, if we are supposed to speak, which exhortation, according to Romans chapter 12, is a gift that God the Father gives, and that would require speaking. If anyone speaks, then we should speak not our opinion, not what I think, but what the will of God would be, the oracles of God. We're speaking as a mouthpiece for God. We're a sounding instrument of God's voice to somebody else. Or if anyone ministers in the text that's not standing up here with a microphone, a Bible, and notes and outlines, and you're the, no, that means serving somebody. If anyone serves someone, then serve somebody not on your own ability, but tap into something supernaturally supplied. God is a supernatural God, right? The Bible says that God is a, he's a spirit. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said God is spirit. God is not natural. God is supernatural. So if anyone runs a vacuum, by doing so, ministers to somebody who's in here who doesn't like looking at dirt. If someone runs a vacuum, listen to this. This is biblical. I'm giving you sound exegesis on this scripture. If anyone vacuums, let them vacuum with the power that God supplies. If anyone serves, let them serve with the power that God supplies. But, 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 but wait, 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 Pastor, I thought I was just clicking a button at a computer. No, you're ministering unto one another. And your ministering should be with the power that God supplies. Huh. And maybe, just maybe, maybe there'll be something more for you in the coming weeks, months, and years. Here's the question that I always asked myself, and I always ask people around me. You know, every single week for three or four years, Kendra Pangborn, Nick Pydek, and Ryan Van Loon would meet with me in my office, which was back around the corner here, and we would break down the week of services. We started doing it, and people thought, oh, that's a new thing. <laughs> We've been doing this for years, Right? We'd sit down and say, how do you think the people responded when they came in? Right? How do you feel like the worship team did in presenting the people of God with the presence of God? How do you feel like our ushers did when it came time to ministering at the altar? Was it chaos? Was it disorganized? Or was there a flow? Did the Holy Spirit function within the structure that we established there? And we would always go through and break down the services and the messages and how long the service lasted. And I was always saying, I think it was too hot. And they're like, no, it wasn't too hot. <laughs> Some things never change. I was like, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't hot in there? But the thing that I always challenged myself and the thing that I always challenged those around me was to think, if this is all you ever do, is it good enough? If all you ever do is click that button, is that good enough? 
are you looking somehow for something bigger and better and more important? To who? That idea doesn't even exist in the economy of God. God is saying, if that's all you ever do for me, is that good enough that you bring that gifting of service to the body? Is that good enough? Would you be okay if 40 years from now you're still greeting at the door? Or Dwayne, that you're still out in the parking lot and for 40 years the sheep still can't figure out how to get in the pen, but we're trying. Now I'm out of time. I'm out of time, but I'm now just getting to my message. what I'm doing for the Lord. But even beyond that, because everything that I do, I do unto the Lord. But what I do for you, is that good enough? Do I need something bigger? Do I need something that has more grandeur? Or am I willing just to say, I acknowledge the reality that God has gifted me That's the word graced. God has graced me this way. I'll be one of the 97% of the people mentioned in the New Testament, they. I'll be one of those that brought people to get healed and brought people that got saved. And I'll be one of those that they set them in groups of 50 and they put them in sections and brought organ I'll just be one of the they but yet on the day that we stand in front of the Lord and all the things that we did are brought before him not in fear of judgment but eagerly awaiting that moment that's what the scripture says he's coming for those who love his appearing He's bringing a crown of righteousness with him. Aren't you glad that he's not bringing a crown of all the stuff you did? But he's bringing a crown of all the stuff he did. He's going to give you a crown of righteousness, something you could never earn. You really need to get that because it's so important. Although I am absolutely 100% a proponent, proponent excuse me, of consecrating yourself to the Lord and making yourself the Lord's and setting yourself apart and saying, use me, abuse me, reuse me, put me away wet and dirty, just use me any way you can, that theology can't cross over into works. I don't do those things to be accepted of God. The only way that I can be accepted of God is I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Would it be enough if you never did anything more than what you're doing today? Would you remain faithful to the end in it? Would that be good enough? Would that be enough? We're to minister unto another the variegated graces of God. Yes? As stewards of the manifold grace, the varied grace, the grace, the variegated grace of God, when I minister it to one another, 
when I serve someone at the front door, when I serve someone by plucking a guitar or beating a drum, when I serve someone by seating somebody, when I serve somebody by coming in here when all the people are gone and all the lights are turned off and clean the stalls out so the sheep can gather again. But each one of us taking the gifting, the grace that God supplied, while we're doing it. Peter says, when you're serving, when you're ministering, make sure you're not ministering in your own power, but in the power that God supplies. That word ability is power. Make sure you're doing it in the power that God supplies. Well, pastor, it's just wiping down the countertop. No, no, it's serving unto the Lord, and it's serving to the people. You're ministering to the people by pushing a button and wiping down the table. You're ministering to the Lord. It's important for us to understand this. One last time. 93% of the body of Christ won't be preaching. It's non-clergical. That's not an arbitrary number that I just brought to the table and said, this will be good. I've actually researched and studied this. So, 93%. We have to work within the giftings that God has given us. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't ask me to be something that I'm not. I mean by gifting. God doesn't ask me to do something that, that he hasn't graced me to do. Are you here? So God wants to put you in the equation and in the mix. And according to 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11 primarily, it's your job to bring that gift to the house. Ephesians 4 says that Jesus sets in the church the pastor. So the pastor is here to work with you. And say, you know what, Rosie, I think you have this gifting on the inside of you. What do you think about that? Yeah, actually, Pastor, I've always kind of been in, the, in my heart. I've always kind of felt that way. I've always kind of had that bend. I've always kind of had that vent. I just want to help people. I just want to serve people. Well, w would you like to get involved maybe in the hospitality team and, and just help and, and take care of the people, maybe make coffee? And, and when we have people who bring... Cookies are out there today. Maybe just make sure that people on a tray, have, would you like a cookie today? God bless you. I'm so glad you came to church today. Tell me that's not ministering to the Lord. Tell me that's not ministering to one another. And the pastor is supposed to make sure, according to Scripture, I will preside over that and make sure that every joint supplies. Well, some of you joints... <laughs> Some of the members, to talk about Paul's address to Corinth, some of the members aren't here of the body. People say, well, I'm just not that important. It just doesn't really matter that much. Then right now, come forward if you'll volunteer. Take your shoe and your sock off and let me hack your pinky toe off of your foot. Just walk around for the rest of the day and tell me if you missed it at all. Yeah, but it's not huge and 
glamorous and yeah but it's so important to balance it's so important to why did you use pinky toe is that arbitrary I bet balance why did you use that word because when you aren't here we are out of balance your grace, your gifting, your ability, your talent, your 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 vent, your your gifting from God is supposed to be functioning here, where every joint supplies, bringing stability. Ephesians chapter four, at the very end, it says that that growth would come, and stability would come, and maturity would come. Well, I'm not that important. We're missing our pinky toe. We're missing our balance. Every joint supplies, and we grow up into maturity. You know what's important is that as a ministry, we grow up in integrity. We got three on that one. That we're integrity driven, that we want to be forthcoming with the monies that come in and the things that we're doing, that people can see there's evidence everywhere you look. God has given a gift to each one. And we're to bring it into the local church under His established leadership and administer it to one another, strengthening and encouraging and blessing one another. Church could be the coolest thing going if we would do it like the Bible says. glad you came to church today. Father, thank you for the word. I didn't share a pension. Uh, I did not. I did not share my opinion, Lord, unless I clearly stated that it was opinion. I spoke the word of God today. I gave scriptural evidence and background and I open up scriptures to your people as you instructed me to. I thank you for the word of God today. Making a difference in this church. Making a difference in our life. Lord, I pray over these, your people, that their understanding and discovering the gifting that you've placed on the inside of them would be as monumental as it was to me and others that I've known, that it would absolutely revolutionize their relationship with you. That they would stop thinking of themselves as some part that doesn't really matter and it's not that important. But Lord, we would all understand that we are carrying the responsibility, stewarding the variegated grace of God. Every part does it share. That we would see all throughout the New Testament writings that you are a local church God. You build the local church. You equip the local church. You gift the local church. You grace the local church. You empower 
the local church. You fund the local church. You give vision to the local church. And then we go and do your will as the church in the community, bringing people into understanding of your love and your mercy and your grace. We take from here out into the lost, dying, and sighing world. Let us get it, Father. Let us get it. Let us get it. Let us get it. The coming to church is important. That me being here matters. That us individually being here matters. And that we should minister, serve one another, not in our own ability, but in the ability or the power that you supply. I pray, Father, as I prayed at the start of this ministry in December of 2009, that I would have the privilege of pastoring a people that were filled with the Holy Ghost, that our church would be filled with the Holy Ghost, that the Word of God would absolutely be the authority and the standard that we would all live under. And Lord, that it would be a church that everybody was involved. That everybody knew their part. That we would all do it. Now, Father, I pray some seven years have passed. To some of us, we need you to reignite passion that we once had, maybe, for that gifting. Forgive us, Lord, if we've taken that gifting and so to speak, put it on a shelf and just laid it aside and said, well, you know, that just doesn't matter anymore. Somebody else does that now, so I guess I don't have to do that anymore. Lord, let us find, let us find, let us awaken again to that passion that drove us. Let us find that gifting again. Let us brush it off, dust it off, and, and plug it in and discover where that gifting can fit and what ministry that gifting can function in. This is serious business, Father. And we ask you to do these things that I'm praying in Jesus' name. For those who've never known and never understood and never quite got it figured out of what it is specifically that you've gifted them to do. I pray that revelation would come today and in the coming sermons that you would open up their eyes and let them see clearly what it is. And then, Father, I pray that once they discover what it is that you've given them to do, let them run with that, Father, in Jesus' name. If it's administration, let them label and organize until their heart is content. Let them create policy and procedure and process. Let them be used, Father, in this house to serve the body, to steward the variegated grace of God. You've placed it in our hands. Put it in our lives supernaturally. Let us function by the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray it in Jesus' name. Jesus, this is what I pray. And I pray it in your name. And this is the confidence that I have in you. That if I know that you hear me, 
but you'll give me the desires and the things that I've prayed for. I thank you for it, and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.